Last, uh, last Sunday, we had uh, really uh, several families that were bringing their children to, uh, to college and uh, were dropping their children off and they wanted to come and, and worship here to s- kind of check out our church or, uh, or uh, reconnect with our church if they'd been here in the past. Uh, and I was reflecting on that after talking to some of these parents, um, how difficult it is to do that. Uh, to, to leave your children in an unknown situation and have to just trust the Lord that they're going to be taken care of. We have sent, uh, two of our children went to AU and two of our children went to the University of South Carolina and just dropping them off in Columbia and then leaving them, you kind of wonder about how things are going to go. And I was thinking about also the time we took our oldest son to the Citadel summer camp. Uh, there was a gentleman in our church in Columbia that was a big Citadel alumni and he, he actually uh, paid for our son to be able to go and we, we love the Citadel and we love all that stuff and we thought summer camp were a great opportunity. Uh, and we took them there and we, we, we were kind of a little concerned about some of the things that we saw. Uh, but we left them and prayed the whole way back to Columbia. And sure enough, uh, we get a phone call a couple of days later. It was not going well. He was really being persecuted and picked on and bullied and... Uh, and uh, uh, his counselor really wasn't that great. And, uh, but, but we had this principle, you, you stick with it. You stick with the difficulty, you work through the difficulty, you develop faith through the difficulty. Uh, so, uh, so he did. He ended up changing into a, a, another regiment and uh, uh, got along real well with a lot of the counselors and ended up being an, an okay experience. Uh, but it was a really hard thing to, to leave him. He ended up actually joining the United States Navy and became a Navy pilot. So it must have done him some good, but it was pretty painful at the time. Well, that's kind of the situation the Apostle Paul is dealing with right now. Uh, You might recall from Acts chapter 17, the church of Thessalonica, how it was started. Uh, It says here that, um, and Paul had to leave, I'm sorry, uh, but... uh, the Jews becoming jealous and take, taking along some wicked men from the marketplace. They basically hired a bunch of thugs from the marketplace to come form a mob. Formed a mob and set the city in an uproar and attacking the house of Jason. They were seeking to bring them out to the people. When they did not find them, began dragging Jason and some brethren before the city authorities, shouting, These men who have upset the whole world are here also. And Jason has welcomed them and they act contrary to the decrees of Caesar. It's a, it's a, a treason that they're accusing him of. Seeing that there's another king, Jesus. They stirred up the crowd and the city authorities who heard these things. And when they had received a pledge from Jason and the others, they released them. The brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. So Paul and Silas and Timothy were there in Thessalonica uh, anywhere from three to four weeks to three or four months. But it wasn't a long time to plant a church. And they were just greatly burdened that the church was going to cave. They were going to to compromise. They were going to apostate because of the difficulties, the persecution that they were going in. But then Paul makes reference to uh, 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 the word that he got that they were actually thriving in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. Paul refers to an encouraging report that he had got. When I could endure it no longer, I sent to find out about your faith for fear and tempter. Uh, Fear the tempter might have tempted you and our labor would be in vain. But now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us good news of your faith and love and that you always think kindly of us, longing to see us just as we also long to see you. For this reason, brethren, in all our distress and affliction, we are comforted about you through your faith. uh, For now we really live if you stand firm in the Lord. For what thanks can we render to God for you in return for all the joy which we rejoice before our God on your account. 
So the Thessalonians had had a bad experience. And yet they were living in the light of the return of Jesus Christ. And uh, they had decided to stand up against that bad experience, to persevere through the difficulty. And they were thriving uh, by the grace of God. So what we have here in the situation that we're looking at today is Paul begins kind of a lengthy prayer uh, that, that where he's th- thanking God for the Thessalonians. And he brings about certain aspects of that prayer. And my desire is that as we look at First Thessalonians and we think about and consider the theme that we do live in the light of his return, that we would be like the Thessalonians and we would be those who demonstrate a work of faith, a labor of love and a steadfastness of hope in the light of that return. Let us go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we do turn to you recognizing the fact that uh, we could cave under persecution, under difficulty. Uh, there are times and even sometimes the, the smallest matter in our life, we began to question your love. We struggle with discouragement, anxiety, depression, uh, worry. And we ask God that you would just show us those areas in life where we need to have more faith in you. Lord, we also tend to be kind of isolated in so many ways. And we don't show the kind of love that we should love. Teach us and challenge us in love. And I pray, God, that you would help us to have the faith that we need to have because of the hope that we are to have. So I pray that you challenge us through these wonderful verses that as we kind of define what Paul is saying here to the Thessalonian church, let this ought to be a lesson to us as individuals and to our church as well. And we pray, God, that you would help us to, uh, to do those things that are glorifying to you in anticipation of the time of your return. In Christ's name, amen. We are going to look at uh, two verses today with just kind of, we're kind of at breakneck speed here. Maybe it's going to take a couple of years to get through First Thessalonians. But, well, but we, again, you, 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 uh, you don't swallow steak whole, you savor it. And uh, the Word of God is, uh, is worth savoring and taking our time with. So we're going to look at First uh, Thessalonians chapter 1, uh, verses 2 through 3, just beginning this series uh, last week. And we'll continue it in probably to the rest of this year. But we're going to see here Paul's prayer of thanksgiving, verse 2, and Paul's reason for thanksgiving uh, in verse 3. But let me read the verse to you in its entirety, and then we'll kind of break up uh, each one of the components here and look at what God has to teach us through it. God says, and Paul writes, We give thanks to God always for all of you, making mention of you in our prayers, constantly bearing in mind your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope, in our Lord Jesus Christ, in the presence of our God and Father. So first of all, here we see Paul's uh, prayer of thanksgiving, verse 2 here. He says, we give thanks to God always for you. And, you know, the, the Orthodox uh, Jew, which Paul was certainly at the time when he was a Pharisee, they have three times a day where you were to pray. You see that also in, uh, in Islam. Uh, but, but one of the things you see about the Apostle Paul, which ought to be the characteristic for ourselves as well, is he just never stopped praying. He's just constantly praying here. He is constantly, constantly praying uh, to the Lord here. Uh, and there's a prayer of thanks. He is giving thanks to God. That's, that's the way we should start every single prayer. Every single prayer. Think about Hannah. Hannah, you know, Hannah in the Old Testament uh, went uh, and she offered her prayer. and She had this huge burden of her infertility. But when she said amen, when she finished her prayer, her face glowed with joy. Because she had hope and she had confidence in God. And she was thankful. And she realized if God fixed her infertility, he is a great God who loves her. If God doesn't fix her infertility, he is a great God who loves her. 
That, that sense of overflowing gratitude, that's really kind of unique for Christians. If you read the old pay, prayers of the pagans, the gratitude is not something that's expressed very often. But we can express that because we recognize anything God gives us is a gain. It's a blessing because we deserve hell. We're born little hellions. And God in His grace intervenes and gives us salvation, but He gives us so much more than that. So uh, this is one reason I think that so many people deal with bitterness. And Hebrew, the author of Hebrews says that bitterness defiles many. And part of it is we're so consumed with our loss or our injustice or our great needs, we just are not walking in gratitude. So Paul wants to start off as an example here. We give thanks to God uh, for you and making mention of you in our prayers. Uh, he's just, again, constantly praying here. And you've got really two very long, complex sentences, one in verse 2 through 5 and one through verse 6 through 10, where he's just sort of go, going out of this, this appreciation that he has for this Thessalonian church. And now the bulk of the sermon, we're going to look at this, uh, this third verse here, verse 3. Uh, with Paul's reason for thanksgiving, he says here he's constantly bearing in, in mind your faith, love, and hope. These three qualities of faith, love, and hope are repeated throughout Paul's writings in particular. Uh, they're sort of a triad of Christian virtues that everything else kind of springs out from. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Now, faith, hope, love abide in these three. You are to live in faith, Hope and love. Galatians chapter 5. For we through the Spirit by faith are waiting for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ he just neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. But faith working through love. Colossians 1.4. He repeats the, the triad again. Since we heard of your faith in Jesus Christ and the love which you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you. So these three virtues of faith, hope, and love, they're all connected. You really kind of can't have one without the other. And because of God's great love for us, he gives us the faith to believe. And we do believe because of the great hope we have in uh, heaven. And not only in heaven, but in, in worshiping God in this life. They're all three connected there. But one of the things that's important, and there were people, sometimes people are afraid to, to preach the need for Christian obedience because they're so afraid that you're going to confuse this with a works righteousness. That you're going to think when you, uh, the, the, if uh, that the preacher says you need to obey, you need to obey, that somehow you are earning salvation through that. And that's clearly not the place here. Again, Paul in verse 4 is going to call these people brethren. Like all the other New Testament books, uh, with the possible exception of the Gospel of John, this was written to Christians. So what he's doing now, he's explaining that faith, hope, love, these are evidences of healthy Christian living. They are not three ways to get saved. He is preaching a message of sanctification. You're continuing holiness once you get saved, not a message of salvation here. So he says here it's a work of faith. Again, faith is really the mother of all virtues. The twin virtues of hope and love spring out of that idea of faith because faith takes its, its attention away from yourself and onto Jesus Christ and what he did. And, but, it's, but it's interesting, faith is, is, is really misunderstood. And, and in our culture, we've been so disappointed so many times, we frankly become cynical in many ways. We, we have a hard time putting our faith in anything. Uh, we have just uh, we have seen so many things that we thought were going to work out and not uh, and ended up not working out. You know, so it's it's kind of a it's a struggle to have faith in many ways. I think about do y'all remember y'all know Steve Martin, the uh, the actor. Well, you would think he was an actor back in my day. He was a stand up comedian. And I thought about Steve Martin's famous saying regarding this. I, I, I'd like to try to do it in my best Steve Martin voice. I don't know if I can pull it off or not. 
You are thinking, I'm visiting the church for the first time, and he's quoting Steve Martin. It's so hard to believe anything anymore. I guess I wouldn't believe anything if it were not for my lucky astrology mood watch. You know, that's so stupid, you know. But a lot of people are putting their faith in that kind of thing or faith in our government or faith in their health or whatever it might be. It's not so bizarre to believe in a lucky astrology mood watch. But our faith is in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Rose from the dead. Jesus Christ is God incarnate. Our faith is in eternal things, all powerful things, all loving people, the Trinity of God. So, so when we are to work out our faith, we are to put a great deal of effort into it. This idea here of work uh, is the deed or, or, or the function of work itself here. And again, this is not a contradiction to, to uh, how Paul says you cannot be saved your works because he is talking about sanctification. But let us look at Galatians chapter 2. Paul says this, Nevertheless, knowing that a man is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Jesus Christ, so that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. Since by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified. So some people read that and they think, okay, we don't have to work. We don't have to obey. We don't have to do all the right things. That's antinomianism. We'll kill the church with that kind of attitude. We, we are to work. He says it here. It's a work of faith. It might be a best way to kind of describe this with, with, with two principles, theological principles here of monergism and, and synergism. Monergism, one, uh, uh, work, energy there. Uh, the one working, monergism is where God alone works, and that's how he does salvation. Synergism is where we work together with God. And we've got a great example if you look at Ephesians chapter 2. Monergism looks like Ephesians 2, 8 through 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not that faith is not yourself. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. So God gives you the faith to be able to believe in him. He is the one doing all the work, monergism. But then you go to verse 10, Ephesians chapter 2, 10. This is what synergism looks like. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we can walk in them. To walk in them means that you make a lifestyle of good works. To earn your salvation, no, but to prove your salvation, yes. We're not saved by good works, but we are saved to good works. Now, the author of Hebrews really combines faith and hope as, uh, with this kind of synergism look uh, in Hebrews chapter 11, that wonderful chapter of the faith, uh, he says he starts off by faith is the assurance of things hoped for, combines those two, for the conviction of things not seen. For by it men of old gained approval. And he goes through a list of godly men and women uh, of some of the things that they've, did, they've done. The, these folks are our heroes. They're our heroes. And they're written there for our instruction so that we could copy them, like Paul asked the Thessalonians to kind of copy his behavior. Let me just read some of it. Uh, Hebrews chapter 11. By faith, Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he would not see death. By faith, Noah, in reverence, prepared an ark for the salvation of his household. By faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed by going out to a place which he was to receive for an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith, even Sarah herself received ability to conceive, even beyond the proper time of life, since she considered him faithful who had promised. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was offering up his only begotten son. 
By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God to enjoy, than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. Who by faith, other than he lists a bunch of others, then he sums them up by who by faith conquered kingdoms, performed acts of righteousness, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fire of uh, the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, from weakness were made strong, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrections and others were tortured, not accepting their release so they might obtain a better resurrection. And others experienced mocking, scourging, yes, altered chains and imprisonment. They were stoned and they were sawn in two. They were tempted and they were put to death with a sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, ill-treated, men of whom the world was not worthy, wandering in deserts and mountains and caves and holes in the ground. Think about some of those trials that the people before us who brought us what we have today endured. And it's such an interesting mix, isn't it? Some were killed, some were raised from the dead. Some were released, some were tortured. Some had profitable ministry and died at old age. Some, Isaiah, was, were sawed in two. There's no predicting how this is going to go, but when you've got the faith and the hope and the love that God calls you to have, you can be part of that great list of people who live their lives, good or bad, difficult or not, in faith, hope, and love. I love George Mueller. George Mueller uh, started an orphanage in, in London 150 years ago, as I recall. And he had this principle that he will never ask for money, that he would pray and he would watch God provide. And for George Mueller, that, that principle really worked. But he said, he said this, God delights to increase the faith of his children. I say and say it deliberately, Trials, obstacles, difficulties, and sometimes defeat are the very food of faith. You see, we all want to be, you know, we want to have the Hebrews 11 t-shirt. You know, we're, we're one of those kind of guys. But, but we want God just to kind of keep just giving us all that faith. And the fact is, you don't really get it or hope or in some ways love unless you are going through trials or going through difficulties. And yet, you face the future with a smile and the past with a smile because you are settled in this idea, this work of faith. The next one is that we have a labor of love here. Uh, love, of course, the word here is the agape, the most common use of the New Testament word. Again, if we were Greek and this was 2,000 years ago, you would see hacking because he sees in us possibilities yet unrealized. God loves us, although he knows full well our complete unworthiness. He loves, moreover, without thought of advantage, for there is nothing we could bring him who made all things. He loves because it is his nature to love. He loves because he is love. Continually, he gives himself in love, which is for the blessing of others, not for the enrichment of himself. So when you are laboring to bring a covered dish that you may never taste, you are doing exactly what God does. And that's a good reminder for us, too, because when things go, uh, uh, become more difficult, especially for those of you who have kind of a melancholy personality, you will uh, almost one of the first reactions when things fall apart is God doesn't love you. He's apathetic. He doesn't care. That is a, that is a quality of Zeus not Yahweh. Our God is, is defined by love. 
And he loves us enough to not to let us have our own way and to test us with difficulties and trials because he's not looking out just for you. He's also looking out uh, for the rest of the church. So authentic Christianity is always defined by uh, loving Christ back as he has loved us. In 2 Corinthians 5, we saw that the love of Christ controls us. You need to ask that question. Does the love of Christ control me? Does the love of Christ control me? And I think there's a tendency, again, the older you get and the more you've been disappointed, that there can be a hardening that happens there. You end up trying to protect yourself from hurt. And we end up becoming cynical and just doubting everything. Folks, it's worth getting hurt. It's worth taking lusts. Uh, lust. <laughs> Words are really important. <laughs> it's worth taking risks to be able to demonstrate this kind of uh, work of love. Then we see the final one here, the steadfastness of hope here. Uh, this idea of steadfastness is, a, is an endurance, a perseverance here. And, of course, hope. Uh, we have so diluted this idea of hope. Uh, hope is, uh, has almost become more wishful thinking. You know, I was hoping this morning that Jenna Gallion would bring her butter bars uh, to, the, uh, to the covered dish meal and uh, found out she didn't. Uh, now I'm hoping that I, she doesn't think I'm trying to manipulate her for the next covered dish meal. Uh, but, you know, we have hope. So that's just wishful thinking, right? Wishful thinking. Or it's even worse than that, like the definition of a little boy for the word hope. Hope is wishing for something that you know ain't going to happen. You know, it's, you know Clemson's going to beat Alabama or whatever it might. That might have been a mistake to say that. Y'all, that's not what hope is. Hope is a settled assurance on the power, the majesty, and the love of God. It is putting your hope in some, uh, someone, God, who is 100% trustworthy, Can is not wishful thinking. It's based on our doctrine. It's based on the truths that we read about God. It's an absolute confidence in God's word and God's management of our life. You have got to come to a point in your life that I am 100% sure that no matter what happens to me, God is for me and he is good. And really, if you get to that point, really the trials, the difficulties, the things that disrupt uh, your life, they just don't wear you out the way they used to. There's an advantage to maturity. You can eventually get to where you embrace these trials and, and tribulations and difficulties. There's a joyful anticipation of provincial, providential care here. It's trusting God not only for our life, but of course also for our salvation. I love this, how the author of Hebrews uses this word, hope. Uh, Hebrews chapter 6. This hope we have is an anchor of the soul. An anchor of the soul. A hope both sure and steadfast and one which enters within the veil where Jesus has entered as a forerunner for us. Now what's he talking about there? Well, it goes back to uh, the, uh, the imagery, the, the form of worship in the Old Testament. You had a veil, and behind the veil was the Holy of Holies. You had the Ark of the Covenant, and it represented the very presence of God. And, of course, when Jesus Christ died, in the afternoon that he died, that veil was, that thick, thick curtain was torn in two from top to bottom. It was a beautiful demonstration that we have access to God. And the author of Hebrews takes it another, another point here that we, it, it is like this hope is an anchor. The anchor was one of the, we think about Christian symbols as a fish or a cross, but the anchor was actually a very early Christian symbol. There's an anchor that's connecting us to the presence of God through Jesus Christ. And it will never be broken. It will never be unloosed. That line will never be cut. 
That's our hope. We have direct access to God through Jesus Christ. So if you, so, so give us your best shot. What could possibly take that away? Nothing. And yet the trials, the temptations of this life, the voice of Satan diminishes that hope so often. This is why we have to constantly be reminding ourselves of these great truths of Holy Scripture. And, and he, he intentionally uses this verbiage. It's not just the hope, it's the steadfastness of hope. It's this, it's this, uh, this idea of, of being in a fixed position no, no matter what or, or, and, and, and standing up under the great pressure uh, that we're, we're under. You, uh, sometimes it's uh, rendered a, a patient endurance. And that's the way we have to do because it's difficult to stay that way. But it's really, it's amazing. The, the difficulties of your life are not so much, uh, the, 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 the difficulty meter from one to ten is not so much because of the difficulty itself. It's because you lose hope during those difficulties, right? Again, another illustration, you're probably thinking the exact same thing. You're, you're, I'm thinking Shelob's lair, right? Lord of the Rings. Okay, you weren't thinking about that. Uh, but you remember that great scene, if you saw the movie, it's in the books that uh, they have to go through Shelob's lair, uh, Torith Ungal up through Kirith Ungal, and, uh, and uh, the Dark Lord has kept Shelob, this great massive spider, allows her to stay in that lair, and he, she eats orcs every now and then, but it's worth it because she's basically guarding that secret entrance into Mordor. Frodo goes in there, and he's in this labyrinth, and, and, and she is after him, and he's been betrayed by Gollum and everything, but, but what is it that he has that saves him? He's, he holds up the vial of Galadriel, right? Which contains the, the light from the star of Elendil. And whenever she, he shines that, Shelob flees. Sam used it to get past the guardians, the demonic guards uh, uh, of the castle. Folks, that's us. Tolkien, I think, was trying to get this whole image. He's a Christian, and he was trying to get this image of hope in our eyes. When we are dark in despair and we are afraid and everything, we have a light. And this light of hope, Proverbs 4, the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn that shines brighter and brighter until the full day. We've, we have with us, through the power of the Holy Spirit, through the ministry of His Word, through the providential care of God Almighty, we carry that light with us wherever we go. There's no reason for us to be lost in the darkness because we carry our hope uh, with us and allows us to be able to, to worship uh, the way we are supposed to as well. First John says this, beloved, we are children. We know that we are children of God and it has not appeared as yet what we will be. We know that when he appears, we will be like him because we will see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself just as he is pure. You know, one of the uh, we've got a, a Christian funeral this afternoon. Uh, and the difference between going to a Christian funeral and a non-Christian funeral is profound because of this very purpose. We know for a Christian, he is going to be like Jesus Christ. His hope is in heaven. So faith, love, and hope, there's these essential elements, but also so are these principles that he attaches with them, this idea of, of work, labor, and steadfastness. There's effort here. You can't just expect these things to happen. They're even, in some ways, unnatural uh, in many, many ways. But this is all this is because we are in our Lord Jesus Christ. Again, he's emphasizing our union with Christ uh, and our faith, hope, and our love 
are found in our Lord Jesus Christ and really nowhere else. Nowhere else. There is hope in no one else other than Jesus Christ. Philippians 13 uh, says, uh, the, I'm sorry, Philippians 3, uh, 1, 3 says this. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal, the prize of the upward call in Christ Jesus. And it's also in the presence of, not only in our Christ Jesus, but also in the presence of God our Father. That could be, and it might be translated in, in the King James Version, if you have King James, in the sight of God our Father. That's one of, you know, we think about the five solas of the Protestant Reformation, which we have on the front door. Uh, this is another one of those Latin phrases that we ought to just make our own, Coram Deo. Coram Deo, that we're living our life before the face of God. That He sees everything that we see. Uh, some of us uh, remember with great fondness Alan, uh, uh, Ed Cawthorn. Ed was an elder here for years and then moved to uh, Tennessee. Uh, he was buried a couple of weeks ago. And his son, Alan, who's on staff at, uh, at New Spring, uh, did his funeral. His son and daughter did the funeral. And I've done that. It is not an easy thing to do. And the Lord really blessed them. But one of the sweet stories about Ed as Alan was preaching his funeral was uh, Alan was a baseball player. I think he played for Hannah. He said that he would, he would get back every time he'd get up to the, to, 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 the, to, to the home plate ready to bat. He would look back and he would always see Ed leaning on the fence with one hand through the chain link fence. Always right behind him when he was up to bat. And he batted better because his father's eyes were upon him. And that's what, that's what we're trying to keep in mind here. That God's eyes are upon him. We do all these things before the presence of the Lord. When I got saved some 40 years ago, my, my life verse, uh, the fellow who led me to the Lord introduced this concept to me. And my life verse became 2 Chronicles 16, 9a. The eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth that he may strongly support those whose heart is completely his. Don't you love that analogy? Don't you love that illustration? God is looking. He is looking for people whose heart is his. Looking for people who demonstrate love, hope, and faith. Who, ser who serve Him by loving others, by having faith in Him, by having hope in the, uh, what is to come. Paul says in Colossians 3, it looks something like this. Therefore, if you've been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are of this earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, you also will be revealed with Him in glory. So here's the Thessalonian church. If anybody had an excuse to, to act like the Corinthian church, it was these folks. But they weren't looking for excuses. They weren't looking, looking for loopholes. They wanted to walk in the spirit and not in the flesh. And they were. And they were demonstrating this faith and this hope uh, and this love. So Paul, of course, is grateful. He's grateful to see what God is doing uh, through them and uh, amongst them. As he starts off this wonderful letter in 1 Thessalonians 1 with this idea of praying and thankfulness, he also closes the letter in 1 Thessalonians 5, 17. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. So as we go on this adventure through 1 Thessalonians, it is, uh, it is our great desire as a church and for you individually to press home these points of, of faith, hope, and love because He is coming back. It could be today. It could be tomorrow. It could be 3,000 years from now. We don't know, 
But whenever it is, we need to live in the light of his return by demonstrating faith, hope, and love. Father, we thank you for uh, your holy truth. And God, we thank you, God, that even when we struggle with it, we know it's true. Because you've given us a spirit that says within us, Amen. The same spirit that is within us is the spirit that, uh, that inspired the prophets and the apostles to write your holy word. So I pray, God, that you would help us to take good account and to latch on to these principles, Lord, of hope and faith and love. And to demonstrate those uh, because we are in Christ Jesus and we are before the eyes of our Lord. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you.